4: another podcast in sweeping america the air tour sports podcast it is friday february 16th 2024 people i hope everybody's doing well hope everybody is having a great day by the way i hope you enjoyed the thursday bonus pod as we looked at the ohio state basketball head coaching opening but i also hope you're ready for what should be a fun friday edition the ffe of the air Tours pod here's what you need to know about today's show A lot of college hoops, actually. So we open. We know UConn and Purdue. Purdue and UConn, one, two in some order. But who is number three? I believe I got the answer to that question. I'll explain that. From there, we will take a quick break. We'll look at what should be a fun weekend at college hoops. Two really marquee matchups as Marquette goes to UConn in a top five matchup between the two teams that most believe are the best in the Big East. And oh, by the way, also on top of that, We have Kentucky going to Auburn. Is there any way those young Wildcats can go to Neville Arena and get a victory? Finally, we wrap with one football story in the last call, and we wrap, of course, with Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, my best and worst takes of the week. And trust me when I say that I had plenty of those. So we got ourselves a busy show, probably a little bit of a quicker show today. This is episode number five going back to Saturday. So quicker show, funner show. There is no more time to waste. So with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is this. We are now, what, five days removed from football officially? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Five days removed from football from the NFL season being over and from it being all college hoops from here until basically the end of March. I'm not saying it's all college hoops. We'll talk some combine and some college football, whatever. But I just bring it up because this is the time that people really get into college basketball. And I think even if you're not a diehard college basketball fan watching every single night, there is a narrative that has emerged over the last couple weeks. And I think bluntly it's fair. It is that in whatever order you choose, UConn or Purdue, one is one, one is two. It's UConn, Purdue, Purdue, UConn, and everybody else after that. We talked about the Athletic article the other day where they said there's so much parity in the sport. It's like, no, there's not. There's two teams that are very clearly significantly better than everybody else. And I should mention, by the way, Purdue does play on Thursday night. So if they lose, completely ignore that first part of this segment, but the rest still applies. By the way, even if Purdue loses on, on Thursday night, which I don't think they will, but at the end of the day, it does feel like it's those two teams and everybody else. I feel like we're weirdly getting to a point where if both those teams don't make a Final Four, it'd be considered a disappointment. Like, even Purdue hasn't made a Final Four since 1980. I was on Indiana Radio this week, and they said, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So it's UConn and Purdue, enough fluff. Let's get to the topic of conversation. Topic of conversation is we all agree those are the two best teams. So the question becomes now, who is number three? And it's been an evolving question over the last couple weeks. I think different times of the year, you could argue different things. At one point, I know that I argued that I thought Kentucky was as good as pretty much anybody not named UConn and Purdue. Fast, athletic, shooting, this, that. They have obviously hit the skids. I'm still curious to see if we ever get them at full strength, what they can look like consistently, the Wildcats. Beyond that, we made the argument for North Carolina. I really like North Carolina. I was high on North Carolina early, but they too were struggling most recently losing at Syracuse. Houston's really good. The metrics love Houston. I have some more concerns. They've already lost to the two best teams in the conference on the road at Kansas at Iowa state also took another loss at TCU. So you kind of go through different teams, you know, Tennessee, every time I'm fully ready to jump two feet in on Tennessee, they do something weird like losing at Texas A&M the other day, getting blown out at Texas A&M really. So I just bring it up to say, it's a weird year. We know Purdue and UConn are number one and two in some order. So the question is who's number three. And I think i finally have an answer it was a team that i believed in early then i kind of gave up on it is the arizona wildcats who i truly believe in my heart of hearts they're the third best team in the sport and i'll be honest i think they are the best suited to beat either of those two teams and i think you could argue they're the best suited period to beat uconn in all of college basketball now with arizona it's been a very interesting year Because remember, the first week of the season, they go to Duke. They fly across country, play Duke, and take care of business against the Blue Devils. And so at that point, you're like, oh, this team's good. And at that point, they were the best team that I had seen. And you kind of ride that wave all part of the early season. They take care of Wisconsin at home. They beat Michigan State on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, A couple other good wins. But then they really kind of hit the skids starting in mid-December with a loss to Purdue in Indianapolis. Now, at the time, Purdue was number one in the country. Nothing wrong with that. Nobody's going to criticize them. But there was a stretch from December 16th to, or I think it was December 15th, excuse me, to January 25th, where they lost five of six games outside of the state of Arizona. So they lost to Purdue. They lost to Florida Atlantic in Vegas. They beat Cal on the road. They lost to Stanford on the road. They lose to or- uh, Washington State, and then they lose to Oregon State. And so it was at that time that I said, "Man, I gotta sell all my Arizona stock. They stink. They can't win outside the state of Arizona." Well, quietly since then, starting with a win over Oregon after that loss to uh, after that loss to Oregon State. Since then, since that win over Oregon, Arizona has ripped off five straight wins, including what you could argue are the two best teams in that conference on the road, winning at Oregon and then winning at Colorado last week. And to me, it was the Colorado game that I just sat there and said, you know what, I gave up on this team too soon. Because it was a weird game. The way the Pac-12 schedules work, you play back-to-back road games, and the schedule breaks where you're always playing Utah and Colorado in back-to-back games, one or the other. They're both in the mountains. It is deemed to be a very hard road trip because of altitude. Well, Arizona beats Utah in triple overtime, and you think last week against Colorado, oh, they're going to take a step back. Oh, they're going to struggle. Colorado's an NCAA tournament team. They have a lottery pick on their team in a kid named Cody Williams. They're going to struggle. Arizona absolutely blew them out, and that was where I said, listen, the college basketball season is ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys. And I truly believe in my heart of hearts that I gave up on Arizona too soon. So why is that and why do I believe that they are potentially the third best team and I believe still very much a national title contender? The first part. One, I think you can go back and look at that five losses in six-game streak and say that in hindsight, maybe it isn't quite as bad as we thought. Okay, first loss to Purdue. Purdue's awesome. Like, I've been critical of Purdue, but they're still a really good team. The game was in Indianapolis. You lose to Florida Atlantic, which is a consistent top 25 team in double overtime, okay? Uh, you lose to Stanford. That's a bad loss. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then you lose at Washington State. You lose at Oregon State on a buzzer beater. And so at the time, it felt like the sky is falling. This is a total disaster. Everything's going wrong. But now you look at it in hindsight, and it's interesting. Purdue's maybe the number one team in the country. At worst, number two. Florida Atlantic's a top 25 team You lost in double overtime. Stanford was bad, as I said. Washington State all of a sudden now is an NCAA tournament team and he lose to Oregon State at the buzzer. So essentially, when you're talking about five losses, you're talking about three to NCAA tournament teams, a fourth at the buzzer, one in double overtime. That's not really that bad when you consider that of those five games, three of them were in true, uh, true road sites, and the fourth one was basically a true road game against Purdue. So I think even when they were struggling, it was a little bit overrated, but they've won five of six, and this is part of why I like them. First of all, the resume now they're tre- trending towards the number one seed. Remember, whatever happened in the middle of the year, this is who they have beaten. Duke, Who at Duke. By the way, Duke right now is tied and the top of the uh, ACC standings. On top of that, they also beat Wisconsin, tied for third in the Big Ten. They beat Alabama, who is leading the SEC. So they beat the best teams in all of these other conferences. And when you look at who they have as personnel, I do think they are best built to beat all these other teams for people who don't know Arizona. Well, what I would say is this, they play eight guys and I'll be blunt. I think six of them, maybe even seven have a chance to be NBA players. Okay. So again, I know a lot of you aren't diehard Arizona fans. If you don't know the personnel, here's what you need to know. Starting point guard, Kylan Boswell, I believe one day will play in the NBA. Probably not after this season. He's been struggling. I get it. Caleb love. We can criticize him. We can critique him. We can, whatever. Dude can get 25-30 on any given night. I think he's going to play in the NBA someday. Uh, uh, Backup guard Jaden Bradley is a former McDonald's All-American, began his career at at Alabama. Probably won't be this year, but I think he could play in the NBA. Uh, K.J. Lewis, a four-star wing, will definitely play in the NBA. Won't be after this year, but probably next year. Then you have a wing named Pella Larson, who, oh, by the way, is now showing up on mock draft boards as a second-round pick. Keyshawn Johnson is a second round pick probably this year. And then the the young big man, Crevis is probably going to be an NBA player down the road. So you're talking about seven players overall or eight, eight players that you play. Seven of them will probably play in the NBA. And so first of all, why do I like Arizona? It's because at the end of the day, this is what I always say. You can look at all the different things that lead to success in March. You know what history tells us the number one precursor of NCAA tournament success of winning national championships do you have dudes that are going to play in the NBA? By the way, this is why I still worry about Purdue. Purdue has one NBA player. Maybe if you believe Zach Eadie is an NBA player, and I know he's moving up mock draft boards, he'll get drafted somewhere. But outside of him, I don't think they have an NBA player on their roster. And history tells us those are not the types of teams that win the national championship. UConn last year, had three dudes currently on NBA rosters. Damason Ogo, Chicago Bulls, Jordan Hawkins, New Orleans Hornets, and Andre Jackson, the Milwaukee Bucks. Klingen, Caraban, who were on the team last year, will play in the NBA. So you're talking minimum five NBA players on last year's uh, UConn team. Even when you go back to Virginia, the year they won the title, three guys that played in the NBA the following year. Villanova, remember, they, they won the title. They had four guys drafted the next year. So you go on and on down the list. You need NBA players. I believe Arizona between the 2024 and 2025 and maybe 2026 drafts have a minimum of five to six NBA players. Two, I think it's also worth noting like they're, they're battle tested too. I really should say what I really actually like about those eight that I said, they know who their eight are. like this is an important thing. Like I watch college basketball every night, especially this time of year. You watch college basketball. It's amazing how many teams still don't really know what their rotations are, who their guys are, who they can trust, who they can't listen. I've been a mostly a Calipari defender, maybe until this week. And I know there's been a lot of injuries, but it's, it's mid-February. He still does not know what his rotation looks like. He still has fans on social media, arguing over who should be starting and who shouldn't and who should be playing and who should. not And so Arizona has eight guys that they know they can count on a bunch of NBA talent They're clearly battle-tested, even if the league isn't good. But I also like them for a few different reasons. They can play a bunch of different ways. They have two legitimate seven-footers in Crevis and Balo, who can both play, eat up minutes, whatever. They have a big uh, wing in Keisha Johnson, who I believe is going to play in the NBA. But if they need to go small, they can play him at the five. Pello Larson, an NBA player, you can play at the four. You can play three or four guards. You can play two seven-footers. You can do whatever you need to do to win. And so this is why I like Arizona so much. I don't think they're amazing. I don't think they're unbeatable. But when you have that kind of lineup versatility, NBA talent, and the last part, by the way, and again, being battle-tested, and the last part, they do have Caleb Love. And we can make fun of him and people don't like him and this and that. The other thing, this is a dude that – There isn't a player in college basketball that has more big game NCAA tournament experience than Caleb Love with the ball in his hands, making big plays, did it against UNC in the final four, did it with UNC in the final four against Duke to get them to a national championship game, knocked out UCLA in the NCAA tournament two years ago. And so even UConn, even Purdue, UConn's got dudes, maybe Tristan Newton, but he's not at that level of experience as Caleb Love. And so I could go on and on. I don't think Arizona is perfect. Do think they need to tighten up some things. They need to get better, more consistent production from their point guard, Kylan Boswell. But I think this is the most interesting question in college basketball right now. We know who's number one. We know who's number two, who is number three. And to me, it's the Arizona Wildcats. All right. So what we're going to do take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, we're going to preview the two big games on Saturday, Marquette, UConn, Auburn, Kentucky, and then we'll wrap with Aaron right? Aaron Wrong. This is going to be a quick quick little fun show. Quick little fun show. Quick. Get out of here. Easy Friday. Take a quick break. Be right back.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
3: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: All right, everybody. I'm back. going to be back. going to be back. I do want to... Sort of switch gears, but we're basically going to stay talking what we were talking, and that's college hoops. And it's crazy because it's late February now. Um, I don't know that we've done a show without any real football topic since probably like May, maybe June. It's been a while, but this is mostly, it's that time of year. Super Bowl's done. Time to talk some hoops. We talked to Arizona in the opening segment, and it's time to switch gears now and preview the weekend ahead. Now, there aren't a ton of super marquee matchups, but there are two that I believe are absolutely worth discussing. And let's go ahead and start with a top five matchup in beautiful Hartford, Connecticut. That is right. Marquette number four in the country. UConn number one in the country. These are the top two teams in the Big East. And let me start by saying this. The Excel Center in Hartford is about to be rocking on saturday afternoon okay i can tell you listen i grew up in connecticut uh by the way wearing my mora hurley 24 t-shirt uh if you want one of uconn fans link is in the show description but i bring it up i grew up in, in in the connecticut area and what i can tell you when i was a kid unless you knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy or unless you had you know you had the johnny manzel money coming out your ears you couldn't get a Yukon ticket, and that is what this is trending to be in Harford on Saturday afternoon. Went ahead and looked it up. How about this? Just to get in, it's like 150 bucks. Uh, to sit basically in the lower level, good seats, mid-court, we're talking five, six, seven hundred bucks. To sit courtside, we're talking almost two grand. The bars outside Excel are gonna be hopping, and in that building, we should get an incredible matchup because here's the bottom line. I know that it's been a weird up and down year and there's teams coming, teams. These are not only two of the best teams in the country. These are two teams that are playing as well as anyone in the country right now as well coming into this game. Listen, with UConn, I know we've talked about it a lot. I don't know, and I know I said this on Wednesday's show, I don't know that they're getting enough credit for what they are doing right now. We are in this NIL portal world where anybody can beat anybody on any given night. And UConn has that ripped off 30, straight wins coming into this game that is unbelievable in a power conference i don't want to say it's unprecedented but it is like it's it's awesome and they're not just beating teams they're destroying really good teams a 43 point win over xavier at home sean miller said i've never seen anything like that that i've been a part of 14 point win over creighton a team that is currently in the top 15 a 13 point win at st john's at madison square garden so UConn isn't just beating teams, they're destroying them. What do they have? A 36-point win at DePaul? I know it's DePaul, but 36 points on Wednesday night against the Blue Demons. Then there is Marquette. And I think because UConn has been so dominant, I don't know that people appreciate what Marquette is doing right now. Marquette is on its own eight-game win streak coming into this game. Marquette is beating good teams as well. Beat St. John's twice during this stretch. Uh, Crushed Villanova at Villanova. And they are playing great basketball. These are the top two teams in the standings. Regardless of who wins, um, basically, these are really the only two teams that can realistically win the Big East right now. And so I think this is going to be an awesome game. Now, in terms of the matchups themselves, what I would say, the thing that you need to focus on, it is the speed and quickness of Marquette versus the size and physicality of UConn. Now, UConn's got speed, too. We'll get to that in a minute. But for Marquette, for people who haven't watched them, they play like Shaka Smart wants to play. They play super fast. They force a lot of turnovers. They shoot a lot of threes. And what they do, as well as anybody, they make you play their game. I remember talking about this with South Carolina basketball a few weeks ago when they beat Kentucky. I said, look, South Carolina, player for player, isn't as good as Kentucky, But they make you play their game. What's ironic about South Carolina? They play super slow. Marquette plays super fast, and they play super fast with really talented players. Tyler Kolick, the reigning Big East Player of the Year, three straight games with twenty-seven plus points. How about this? Twenty-seven points and thirteen assists in that win at Villanova that I mentioned a few uh, a few seconds ago. He's playing elite. Cam Jones, their second best player, was out with injury. He has been back the last two or three games. He's playing really well. You have Stevie Mitchell, you have Joplin, you have Igadoro. This is a really good team that I think bluntly is good enough to make the Final Four. And they're a team that is is good. As I said, they're playing well on an eight-game win streak after losing three of five to open Big East play. But then also, they play a style that makes you want to play their style. They play super fast. But then what ends up happening, once you get in the rhythm of playing fast, you get loose. You get sloppy. And that's what this team does maybe better than anybody, not any better than anybody in college basketball statistically. But in the Big East, they force more turnovers than anybody in the in this league. 17 and a half per game. And so you talk about tr- uh, uh, turnovers lead to transition points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that's what they're going to try to do at in Harford at the Excel Center. Now, from the UConn perspective, we've talked so much about them, but obviously what they want to do, they want to dominate the paint in the glass because as good as Marquette is only Osa Iguodoro is the only guy that averages more than, than five rebounds per game. Tyler Kolick averages right around five, but he's a six, four guard Marquette's basically going to play four small guys at all times. They're going to try to run you off the court. What UConn needs to do to win this game is be big and tough in the paint. Donovan Klingon got to be tough. Alex Karabin got to keep doing what he's been doing since he's been back from injury And then the rest of the pieces, they got to do what they do. Cam Spencer, 15 points per game, 44% three-point shooting. Um, Tristan Newton, 15 points, seven rebounds, six assists. And so with UConn, it's about the size that they have. But also on top of that size, it is about the physicality that they play with, the way they dominate the boards. And that's where I think they're ultimately going to have success. In terms of this game, listen. I like Marquette. I think they're really good. I think they may be the most underrated team right now. Like, it just feels like everybody, and we just talked about it in the previous segment, it feels like everybody plays well, plays well, plays well, takes a weird loss, plays well, takes a weird loss, plays well, it takes two losses, whatever. And that could be Tennessee, that could be North Carolina, that could be Kentucky, that could be whoever, Auburn. As good as Auburn's been playing at home, they just took a weird loss on the road at Florida. So I only bring it up because I respect what Marquette has done, but I think this is a tough matchup for for really three reasons. One, it's just a a mismatch matchup for Marquette. I know they want to play fast, but man, it is tough when UConn is just as athletic as you, but they also start six, you know, three guys that are six, eight, six, nine, or bigger. Or I guess they start two plus Samson Johnson plus whatever, whatever. Two, and I think this is important. The home crowd is going to be an X Factor. Place is going to be loud. It's going to be rocking. There's going to be a lot of home fans. But then three, this is a part I don't think enough people have talked about. UConn is the reigning national champion. Nobody would ever trade that trophy you get on the first week in April for anything. But Marquette also has something that UConn did not earn last year, and that is the Big East regular season championship and the Big East tournament championship. And I remember talking before the season. I was talking to a a buddy of mine that's in the Big East ecosystem, if you will. And he said, He's like, you know the thing that is going to motivate Hurley all year? It's going to be, we won the Natty, but we didn't protect our home turf. We didn't protect the Big East. We can't call ourselves the best team in the Big East, even if we're the best team in the country. And so I know that that has been lingering in that building for a while. Marquette beat them two out of three times last year, including in the Big East tournament to eliminate UConn. And so I am here to tell you, I do believe that Marquette, comes out, they play great basketball, but I have a hard time believing they can go into the XL Center against this team and get the win. I have UConn winning 79-72. to We don't have a point spread as we record. And I think with that, a couple interesting, noteworthy things. One, with that win, um, I do think, listen, I don't think, it essentially does clinch the Big East regular season title for UConn. I don't want to put the heart, the, cor- the, the, the cart before the horse, but UConn is 13 to 1. If they were to win this game, they would have a three game lead in the Big East standings with five games to go. Now, they do still have to play at Marquette, at Creighton, at Providence. So it's not going to be easy, but I bring it up to say you have a three game lead with th- with five games to go. That's, that's a pretty advantageous thing going forward. Let me make sure I have that correct. Yes, after tonight, UConn will play only five more Big East games. Obviously, if Marquette wins, they would be one lot one back in the loss column. Um, and it is worth noting they do host UConn in the final week of the regular season. So obviously, Marquette would very much be in the mix for a Big East championship if they win at the Excel Center. I just don't see it, but that is a very interesting game that I am very excited about. Let's get to the second game, uh, and that is the College Game Day game day game: Kentucky at Auburn. We don't have a point spread yet. I hate to say it, Kentucky fans. My guess would be that Kentucky probably will enter this game as a double-figure underdog. And let me start by saying this. A couple things stand out about this game. First of all, Kentucky, credit where it's due, man. Listen, I know everybody wants to rip apart Cal, and I include myself. I was very critical last weekend coming out of that Gonzaga game. But they needed a win against Ole Miss on Tuesday night. I guess it was. I think it was Tuesday night. We did the immediate reaction. They needed the win on Tuesday night. They get the win on Tuesday night. But I think more importantly than that, they got the win. It's how they got the win. Now, Ole Miss isn't an elite team by any stretch of the imagination. But Kentucky needed to step up defensively after the debacles against certainly Tennessee. I would argue, I don't think Gonzaga was quite as bad solely because uh, uh, Kentucky was without one of their most important big guys in Trey Mitchell. And so in that game, that was the game where you really needed Trey Mitchell. You didn't have him, but to Kentucky's credit, uh, you you were on a three game home losing streak. You had lost three of four overall, and you just got the win that you absolutely needed. And it was in large part on the defensive end. You hold Ole Miss to thirty seven percent three point or thirty seven percent from the field, twenty two percent from the three point line. That was the defensive effort that you needed. Now you come into this game playing well off a win. You have won two out of three, so you have that going for you. But what I'll also say, Auburn is the toughest environment that they will have played in all year. Now listen, I have been to Bud Walton Arena this year. It is as good as any venue in the country, and I'm sure it was as good as as it was the night I was there for the Duke game as it was when Kentucky was there a few weeks ago. But at the same time, what I will tell you, I've talked to coaches. I remember talking to a coach who's coached in the ACC, the SEC, and I believe the Big Ten as well. And I remember him telling me, he said, point blank, when you go to Auburn, he said, when it's a big game and those fans are into it, that is as tough of a place to play as anywhere in college hoops. It's not a huge arena. It's small, but the fans are right on top of you. And Auburn is playing into it this year. Auburn has been incredible at home this year. You know, Auburn is the only SEC team that has not lost a single game this year at home all year. Even Alabama, leading the SEC. Well, guess what? They lost at home to Clemson earlier in the year. Tennessee, lost at home to South Carolina. Kentucky, we know about their struggles at home, as weird as that sounds. So this is a tough place to play. Auburn's winning by 20-plus points. And it's interesting, too. It's not just that they're playing well at home. I think Bruce Pearl has done a good job of uniquely building a team that plays to the strengths of its home court. It was funny on, on uh Wednesday or Thursday morning, I was on radio with my buddy, Cole Kublik and Greg McElroy in Birmingham on jocks. And I bring it up because we were talking about this game, previewing this game. And I said to the guys, I said, you know what? Auburn this year with this home arena reminds me of, it's almost like the, baseball team that builds their entire team around the strengths and the weaknesses of their ballpark. Okay. I'm not a baseball guy, but what I said at the time was like, you know, like there's certain stadiums. I think the old Yankee stadium, maybe the new Yankee stadium, they have like a short right field porch. And so you build a team with a lot of lefty pull home run hitters because the porch is short out there or the left field porch or in Colorado, you know, you, you build it on offense, not on pitching because of the altitude. Well, in college hoops, I feel like Bruce Pearl has kind of built a team that fits that building because the building is intimidating and that team is intimidating. You know, Auburn right now is number two in college basketball and field goal percentage defense. Only Houston is better. So when you're talking about statistically, you're only behind Houston in a defensive category. Love those Cougars, by the way, neither here nor there. But I love those Cougars. But back to Auburn. When you build a team that defensively is only behind Houston, you know you're doing something right, and that's what Auburn is. And they're big, and they're physical, and they're tough, and they're mean, and you're playing in this crazy environment, and they're going to beat the crap out of you, and the, the refs are going to be afraid to blow the whistle. And I'm not criticizing Auburn. Auburn, you're, you're, it's a great team. Because every time I say this, Auburn fans think I don't like their team. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is they have built a team that fits that building. And so when I look at this game, I'll just be blunt. I think it's really tough for Kentucky fans, for Kentucky. One, it's as tough of a place as you've played all year. Now, you did win at Bud one, credit where it's due. Two, they are a team that matchup-wise is as tough of a matchup for Kentucky as there can be. Kentucky, they want to get out. They want to run. They want to shoot threes. They're not a great rebounding team. What if they struggle with? Teams that aren't afraid to throw elbows down low whether it was Tennessee a few weeks ago, South Carolina, uh, they struggled to rebound against Gonzaga, 18 offensive rebounds for Gonzaga. Well, that's what Auburn does as well as anybody. Matter of fact, I'm going to look it up real quick. I would venture to guess Auburn without knowing the stat off the top of my head is one of the better offensive rebounding teams in all of college basketball. Let me look it up. By the way, if I'm proven wrong, it'll be live on air. Cause I'm not redoing this segment. Let's take a look. Best offensive rebounding teams in college basketball, and guess what? Auburn isn't as good as I thought. Isn't that some great radio right there? So that's good news, Kentucky fans. So Auburn ranks 81st nationally in offensive rebounds. They average, in a, average 11 per game. And so, by the way, Gonzaga only averaged 11 per game coming in as well. So the point I'm trying to make is that it's a tough matchup for Kentucky. And I think beyond that, this is the important part. Kentucky might be without Trey Mitchell. I'm recording here late on Thursday night. Stuff can change. I get it. But as of right now, we don't know if Trey Mitchell is going to play. I think he's the one guy outside of uh, Ogana and Yenso that you can't afford not to have in this game because they are so big and so tough down low with Jani Broom and Jalen Williams. Interestingly, this game also has big-time SEC uh, championship ramifications as well. Alabama right now has two losses. They're ahead in the loss column. Obviously, if Auburn wants to compete for an SEC title, they probably pretty much have to win this game. They're one game back in the loss column. They've already played Alabama twice, split with them. So Auburn is is uh one back in the loss column tied with Tennessee and South Carolina. Worth noting, Auburn just beat South Carolina. Auburn plays Tennessee this coming week, the 20, 28th. So a week, so midweek game a few days from now. And so I just bring it up because if you want to win the SEC, Bruce Pearl said it. You want to win the SEC, this is a game that you absolutely have to win. For Kentucky, they already have four SEC losses. They are tied for third in the loss column. But they have, let's see here, they have four teams ahead of them in the loss column, plus the two team, the one team that they're tied with is Florida, which they have split with this year. So Kentucky, if you want that double buy in Nashville, let's forget about the SEC regular season title, but if you want that double buy in Nashville, This is obviously a game you got to get. But with that said, I just think it is really, really tough to ask Kentucky to go to Neville Arena and get the win. And I think Auburn probably beats them pretty good. Kentucky fans, I could lie to you. I could pretend. I could say it's all going to be hunky-dory and everything's going to be amazing and blah, 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 blah. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Go ahead and give me the Auburn Tigers to win that game. Uh, I'll say final score. What do we say here in this one? We'll say final score... uh, 86-71 Eighty six seventy one. I respect Kentucky I respect what they did having to go on the road to get that win but man oh man oh man is that going to be a tough arena alright so what we're going to do take a quick break come back when we come back we will wrap the show one topic in the last call that I got to go ahead and get to before we do wrap with America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right where Aaron was wrong take a quick break be right back
3: <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. We'll go ahead and wrap with Aaron right, Aaron wrong in just one moment. But before we get to it, I do want to get to last call. And there was a story that I saw that I do just want to hit on very quickly because everybody's freaking out. Everyone's making a big deal about it. It is that we have yet another head coaching opening in college football as two weeks after Jeff Hafley left the Boston College head coaching job to be the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers and a week after Chip Kelly leaves UCLA to be the offensive coordinator of the Ohio State Buckeyes, we found out on Thursday That Sean Elliott, not the guy that used to play for the San Antonio Spurs with Vinny Del Negro and all them, but he has been the Georgia State head football coach for the last seven years. He announced that he is leaving the head coaching job at Georgia State to take the tight ends job with the South Carolina Gamecocks, so going to South Carolina. Now, when this happened, it was the uh, the Internet thing of, oh, my God, it's such a big deal. What does this say about college football? everybody's taking all sorts of crazy jobs. Everyone's giving up head coaching jobs. Well, first of all, here's the bottom line. One, being a group of five head coach is no longer any fun, okay? Because at the end of the day, being a group of five head coach, this is all it is. You get in, you try to win, you recruit, you identify, you develop. And then as soon as things start going good, guess what happens? All your best players leave to go play at the power five level. I hate it. I don't like it. I wish we were all back in 1962 when it was for the front of the jersey, not the back. But that's the reality. And so more and more, we are going to see group of five head coaches take uh, uh, either position or coordinator jobs at the Power Five level. By the way, Alabama's new offensive coordinator, Kane Womack, was the head coach at uh, South Alabama. He left to become a defensive coordinator at Alabama. Oh, by the way, Alabama's defensive backs coach, Maurice Linquist was the was the head coach at Buffalo and decided to leave there to go to Alabama. And so the bottom line is, being a group of five head coach is not very fun. This is going to continue to happen until we do something with transferring and guys being able to leave whenever they want. Beyond that, I know everybody wants to make everything into the biggest thing in the world, but here's the bottom line. Sean Elliott said himself, this isn't professional. It's personal. Sean Elliott was an assistant coach at South Carolina from 2010 to 2016. And according to him, his family never left South Carolina. And so here is what he said about the decision. He said, this was not a professional move. It was a personal move. We've made it work for seven years with my family, still living in Columbia. And I even thought about not coaching this year. I had promised my daughter that I would be there for her, for her senior year of high school. And when this opportunity came up to go back to South Carolina and coach again, it was something I couldn't pass up. I've always loved South Carolina. Now look, On the one hand, do have a couple thoughts. One, don't love that you waited until February 15th to make this announcement, okay? I don't love it because guess what? Georgia State is already in spring practice. So this is the unprecedented part about this situation, is that this guy waited until spring practice started to leave. You have the commitments of 60, 70, 80 guys in that locker room that stayed with you, that were recruited by you, and you decide... After spring practice starts, that you're leaving, kind of sketchy, don't love it. And I really don't love it because let's be honest. You're, you knew you, I think you've known for a while your daughter's graduating next year. And if it was really about that, then why'd you wait until February? No, you waited until February because you waited until the perfect opportunity for you to leave before you ended up leaving. And so if it was really about your daughter, you take the year off. If it was really about your daughter, you say, I'm only going if South Carolina has an opening. There's a lot of ways to handle it that weren't this way, but I, I just, I, I don't know that I can get mad either. I mean, yes, I think it's kind of crappy that you left 85 guys in that locker room, bunch of assistant coaches, a bunch of support staff, bunch of strength and conditioning coaches. But I mean, if it really is about spending time with your family and spending time with your daughter during her senior year, it's like, I can't, like, I can't come on here and be a jerk and say you made the wrong decision. So again, all these situations are different. We have yet another head coach leaving for a demotion. I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it's the biggest deal ever, but I do think it was at least worth discussing. All right, with that said, let's switch gears. Let's wrap the show. As we do every Friday with America's Favorite Podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know how this segment works. Yes, I stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Yes, we do it every Friday. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I brought where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong to the Aaron Torres pod for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports steaks than your boy Torres. Torres told you this. Torres said that. Torres said, you shut up. Listen to him on this side. Never shut up. Just one problem. While I get a lot of stuff right, I also get a lot of stuff wrong too. That is the nature of this business. And so every single Friday, we wrap the show with Aaron right, Aaron wrong, giving you my best takes of the week, but also some really bad ones as well. Let's get to it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, where Aaron was right. Well, I told you last week, Kansas City Chiefs were going to be the Super Bowl champs. And listen, that's not a huge take. That's not the most amazing thing I've ever said. I get it. But at the same time, what I said ended up very much becoming true. We ha- the Chiefs are just. They're a dynasty. They're here. They've arrived. There's nothing we can do about it. And the, we got to stop pretending like we should be doubting Patrick Mahomes in big games. Like it felt cliche and it felt dumb to just very simply say, well, I mean, you can't bet against Patrick Mahomes, but I really kind of feel like you can't bet against Patrick Mahomes at this point. We've tried to make Josh Allen into his rival. He's not. We've tried to make Lamar Jackson into his rival. He's not. We've tried to make Joe Burrow into his rival. Joe Burrow can't stay healthy. And so, until further notice, I'm picking the Chiefs to win every Super Bowl going forward until they prove me wrong. And then, even when they lose, I'll probably pick them again the next year. They are that good. Mahomes is that dominant. Reed is coming back next year. Andy Reed, Super- Kansas City Chiefs are your Super Bowl champs, and they ain't slowing down anytime soon. Where Aaron was wrong. If I'm going to take credit for picking the Chiefs last week, I also got to own one of my worst takes ever. 18 months ago, when Tyreek Hill was traded from the Miami Dolphins to the Kansas City Chiefs, I said I thought the Chiefs dynasty was over before it even began, and I thought Tyreek Hill was one of the few people that was that big of a difference maker at the wide receiver position. I said there's no one like him. You can't replace him. The Chiefs offense is going to be completely different without him, and they are going to struggle. Well, in some degrees, I sort of turned out right because the Chiefs offense is very different, but where I was wrong was, bam, it's to be without him. Two straight Super Bowls back-to-back without Tyreek Hill. And so I got to take the L on this. I was dead wrong. Tyreek Hill's really good. But he ain't slowing down the Chiefs from reaching the ultimate goal, which is hoisting the Vince Lombardi trophy, which they did for the second straight year without him, where Aaron was right. Last week, I did a rant on why I think Las Vegas should be the host of every single Super Bowl and really every single major sporting event easy to get to, a lot of hotels. Every fan in America wants to go. Every media member wants to cover it. There's plenty to do. You can golf, you can do shows, you can do dinners, you can do whatever. Well, I bring it up because the results are in from Vegas and this was an even bigger success than anyone thought. According to an article from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Las Vegas was expecting about 330,000 people to come into town last week for the Super Bowl. They got closer to 450000 They expected people to spend roughly $500 million in the city. It was closer to $1.1 billion. So twice as much money, 25% more people coming in. This thing was a smashing success, and listen, it's no disrespect to Jacksonville and Minneapolis and all these other places that have hosted Super Bowls. If you want to do it every once in a while in Scottsdale or New Orleans or Miami or whatever, But Vegas is the biggest event city in America. This bad boy at the very least should be in the every two to three year rotation of the Super Bowl. It was a hit. Where Aaron was wrong. Let's completely switch gears to the NFL. Let's go to college hoops. Number one, UConn, as I said, is hosting Marquette this weekend. And I got to take the L. Coming into the season, I thought UConn would would be good this year coming off the national championship. I didn't think they'd be this though. Twenty-three and two, and kicking the crap out of absolutely everybody. Now I understand that they have played sort of an easy part of the schedule, and I understand that things are going to get much tougher going forward. But just listen to some of these scores from UConn basketball over the last couple weeks. I know it's only DePaul. What a one sixty-five is the final score there? Beat Georgetown eighty-nine to sixty-four. Beat Butler by nine. Beat St. John's by thirteen. Beat Providence by nine. Beat Xavier by. What is it? 43 points. I'm just making sure I have it correct. Not only are they beating people? They haven't even played a close game in weeks. Now Marquette, they're going to give a much tougher competition, but look, I can't believe I'm saying this a year ago. I didn't even think UConn was good enough to win the national championship. Now, like Purdue, I think it's a disappointment. If they don't at least make it back to the final four, UConn dominant going into this weekend's game with the Marquette golden Eagles. Where Aaron was right. Let's go to college football. And listen, when all this NIL stuff I I started about two, three years ago, we talked about the biggest thing for coaches is this. Now that you're telling your, your boosters, you got to help with uh, facilities and resources and coaching staff salaries and this and that. Now you're asking boosters to pay players. Coaches are going to be on a short lease, and you better deliver right away. You're going to go to me and ask me for my money. That's fine, but I want to see a return on my investment. I bring it up because the other day we talked about the Florida NIL situation. If you missed Wednesday's show, we discussed it. Bottom line: Florida is having uh, money, having trouble. Excuse me, raising money for NIL, and it's because those boosters don't believe in Billy Napier, and they gave after they gave going into his first season, losing record. They gave going into his second season. Another losing record. They are not giving again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you again. Fool me three times, shame on me. Florida fans aren't having it. And I will say, I think this is the new reality of college sports. By the way, a lot of speculation on why Ohio State basketball fired Chris Holtman this past week was because they needed to raise the money for NIL, and they knew the longer they let him hang around, the less money it was realistic to raise with him as the head coach. Now you fire him, you say, listen, we need you to start giving money so the next guy has a fund to go to work with when the portal opens in about, what, two months from now in college, or a month from now in college basketball, excuse me. This was coming. This is how it's going to be. And I think coaches, as crazy as it sounds, you think they were on a short leash before? I think they're on an even shorter leash now. You better win. You better win big. You better win quickly. Because fans, they don't have any patience. They want to win right away, and they're going to demand it of you. Where Aaron was wrong. Let's stick with college hoops in this. We we opened the show with it. Uh, The Arizona Wildcats, they are back in the top five. They destroyed the Colorado Buffaloes. And I'll be blunt. I think I gave up on Arizona a little too quickly here. So in the early part of the season, I said they are the best team in college basketball. They end up losing a, a bunch of games right in the middle of the year but they are now on a five-game win streak. They beat probably the two best teams in the conference besides them on the road at Oregon and at Colorado. And you look at Arizona right now, I am here to tell you, and I just said it, I think they have as good a chance as anybody not named UConn, not named Purdue, to win the national championship. Size, veteran guard play, shooting, experience. They play pretty good defense. I loved them early. Then I completely gave up on them in the middle of the year. Well, guess what, baby? I am all the way back. I think I gave up on them too quickly. Let's go ahead and wrap really quick where Aaron was right. UCLA football. I did a segment last Wednesday. I said, I don't know exactly what's going on with Chip Kelly, but I believe he's trying to get out. I believe that he is trying to to get a coordinator job in the NFL, but I believe he would be a candidate at Ohio State if Bill O'Brien takes the Boston College job. Well, what ends up happening? Chip Kelly leaves. But what I also said with UCLA, I said it's going to be so tough to find a head coach right now. I expect them to kind of make a a, a low-key, under-the-radar hire. Hope it works, and if not, you can get out of it really quick. They do that with Deshaun Foster. I think Deshaun Foster will be good. The question is, will he be great going into the Big Ten? It's the toughest time probably ever to take over UCLA football. We'll see what happens. But UCLA, the whole probably last 10 days played out exactly like I told you it would. UCLA football with a new head coach finally where Aaron was wrong listen your boy Torres I've gone pretty hard in the paint on Ryan Day Ryan Day the head coach at Ohio State in football well guess what probably got more big wins this offseason than he has on the field about the last three four five years The, the 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 cherry on top on top of all the NIL on top of all the portal he gets Chip Kelly as his offensive coordinator listen if you give Chip Kelly all these pieces to work with um against basically inferior competition where all Chip Kelly has to do is worry about drawing up plays, I think Chip Kelly has a chance to be pretty good. So credit to Ohio State, credit to Ryan Day. I criticized him, but the bottom line remains, guy has done about as good of a job as you could ask for uh, given how bad things were after that loss to Michigan and after the loss in the Cotton Bowl. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Do think it is time for me to get out of here on a Friday. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres Pod on TikTok. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to click that subscribe button. All for today's show. I will be back next week. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back Monday. New episode.
0: With the Lucky Land slapped, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.